You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. crowd, you know what that means? Pardon? Talk to Steve or Dan on that, please. Something important to say. Preaching on prayer. Not surprised at all that the pews are empty. Are you listening? Nothing gets attacked like prayer. Nothing. Do you know why? Any opinions on why prayer is attacked more seriously, more severely than anything else, any other aspect of the Christian life? Pardon? Because it's God we're talking about. Any other thoughts? Because God answers prayers. That's moving towards what I want to say. Yeah. It's God we're talking about. God answers prayers. Why do you think prayer, and just think of your own life. You set aside a time, a time to prayer, to pray, and almost inevitably something happens and takes your attention. Or if you do get into a place where you can pray, your mind is bombarded with all other kinds of thoughts. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's because prayer gets attacked more than anything else in the Christian life. Why? Because when you have prayer, things happen. We're, we're moving towards the answer. Uh, against the Yes. Prayer threatens the enemy's kingdom. Fellowship doesn't really. It's great for us. Worship doesn't really. It blesses God. But prayer threatens the enemy's kingdom. Because when we pray, God moves to bring about his will on the earth as it is in heaven. And that often includes negating Satan's will on earth as it is in heaven. You with me? At least that explains. That's not going to make it any easier for us. But at least that explains why we come under such attack when we try to pray. And why prayer is always usually at least on the bottom of the list of priorities in our lives. We are Basically, doers, and we'll pray if we have to. Now, I think in here that's beginning to change, but that's, that's the general principle for us. We pray as a last resort. Here's a scary thought. I remember saying way before COVID ever hit that, you know, not many people come out to pray together or are praying together. And I said, but, you know, if a pestilence hit, if war and pestilence broke out, in Lancaster County, then we'd be getting together to pray. I was wrong. We're still not getting together to pray. Pestilence has hit. What's it going to take? You may not be, you may be closer to the truth than you think. So, as we saw last week, we were in Acts chapter 12, There was an angelic, supernatural, divinely planned jailbreak in Jerusalem. Peter was sprung from prison. 
and he's rescued from certain death. And we thought, hey, that's going to be the main focus, or I did. That's going to be the main focus of last week's sermon. All this neat supernatural stuff, angels appearing, chains falling off, doors opening by themselves. We'd be talking about the details of the breakout. But if you remember, that wasn't the focus. That's not what God wanted to bring to us from that story. Instead, the focus was Acts chapter 12, verse 5. While Peter was in prison... The church prayed very earnestly for him. God wanted us to focus on prayer and especially on the church praying together. And as Justin said, we, you know, most announcements are once or twice, maybe three times and done. Justin makes his announcement week after week after week. That's intentional. Because prayer is so important. This is my own opinion, but I think the only reason or the reason that Luke had Acts 12.5 in there between James' death and Peter being broke out of prison, broken out of prison, is because he wanted us to see it was the prayer that, was, was caused, that caused that. So we'd make a connection between the church praying and God moving mightily. That's the connection we have to make. There's a breakdown here. We don't see that. Justin was saying it today. We get lulled into this trap of thinking God will probably do it. There's a connection between the church praying earnestly, and you'll see later, passionately, intensely, and God moving mightily. There's a connection. He may move without that prayer. He may. But he may not. There's no guarantees. Today we're going to be moving on. We're out of chapter 12. We're moving to chapter 13. It's a whole new ballgame now. Chapter 13 starts a whole new section of the book of Acts. So the chapter has changed, but the focus remains the same. Tiffany and Ray, if you'll come, the rest of us will stand. You can set that up for her height then, Tiff. And t- uh, Ray is going to read for us, I think with a little help from her mom, but Ray is going to read Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were (laughs) worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them away. Thank you, Raya. Thanks, Tiff. So the title today is a very generic title, A Study of Prayer in the Book of Acts, going from Acts 1 to Acts 13. It's not catchy. It's not an intriguing title. It just points to what this sermon is. It's a study of prayer in the Book of Acts 
up through chapter 13. So what they were reading is among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man. He was from Niger in Africa. Lucius from Cyrene. Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas. Antipas and Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Here's the setting. You interested in the setting? Geographically, we're up in Antioch of Syria. We're now about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So we've traveled 300 miles since we met last Sunday. We traveled 300 miles between Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13. This was Syria then. There's still country Syria. But the place that is Antioch now, then, was, is now Turkey. It's in the country of Turkey. That's the setting. That's where all this is happening. The context is a group of leaders in the church were gathered together, and it tells us exactly what they were doing. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Luke says that these leaders were worshiping the Lord together, they were fasting together, and they were praying together. And it implies by the fact that one day, it implies that this was a common practice for the leaders of the church. One day gives the sense that on one of these occasions, this is something they do regularly, and on one of these occasions, this happened. The Holy Spirit broke in and gave some instructions. Our focus today is on prayer. We're not dealing with fasting. I do have one word to say about fasting. So if you're interested, just know this. Biblical fasting always involves abstinence from food and it connects with prayer. I know people say, yeah, I'm going to fast TV and I'm going to fast this and that. And that is good for us. But if you want to be accurate, biblical fasting always involves not eating. And it connects with prayer. It's not, if, if you're just not eating, you're dieting. You're not fasting. If you're fasting, the time you would have been eating... You're intensely praying and seeking God. That's biblical fasting. Got it? Hey, I'm not saying, oh, pastor said we can just watch all the TV we want. If you want to stop watching TV and do something else, amen to that. But that's not biblical fasting. The first application today is for the leaders in the church. Unfortunately, several of our leaders are ill and not here. But the first application is for the leadership of the church. So leaders who are here, are you listening? Not just elders, but leaders in the church. The priority work of leadership in the church is? The priority work of leadership in the church is? And one more time, the priority work of leadership in the church is? Let's slip back to Acts chapter 6 for a moment. As the, believers were rapidly, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The 12, meaning the 12 apostles, called a meeting of all the believers. Select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. 
and we will give them this responsibility, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. The apostles, who were the chief leadership in the early church, they understood their primary responsibility, which was what? Which was? Third time. Which was? Along, of course, with teaching. Along, of course, with other things. Healing people. But notice prayers mentioned first, then teaching. That's the order. I can tell you from years of experience now, 25, 26 years in the ministry, 15 years before that in leadership in another church. If you don't pray as a leader, it's doubtful you can teach. If you're not praying over your ministry, it's doubtful you can lead your ministry effectively. If you don't pray, it's doubtful you can do any ministry effectively. Now, that may not be true of leadership in the world, but it is in the kingdom and it is in the church. Leaders, ministry heads who are here, we have got to be praying over our ministries if we want it to be effective ministry. Even better if you can have others praying with you and you can pray together over your ministry. It'll make all the difference in the world for your ministry. And then, of course, for the church. As the ministries go, so goes the church. It makes no difference how big or how small your ministry is. And I don't even like saying that, but I know we think in those terms. It doesn't matter how big you think your ministry is or how small you think your ministry is. It doesn't matter how important you feel your ministry is, maybe compared to some other ministries. That's a wrong thought, by the way. you got to be praying over it. Priority for leadership in the church is prayer, praying. And we saw it over in chapter 13 at this particular time. Leadership was praying together, which was their habit, which was their practice. They were praying together. They also were worshiping and fasting, but they were praying together. Those three go together, by the way. Prayer, worship, and fasting when you add it in. And because they were doing this, something huge was about to happen. So priority for leadership in the church, priority for heads of ministry is? <laughs> now, just so we don't think that only applies to leadership. Many of you were thinking, well, you know what? I'm not a leader in a ministry. I'm off the hook. Mm, wrong. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. I urge then, first of all, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving, all forms of prayer be made for all people. This is good and it pleases God. The context here. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. You've heard that of that church, right? Ephesus was also in Turkey. 
It was one of the most renowned churches in the New Testament, one of the most powerful churches in the New Testament. It was a vibrant New Testament church. And this is Paul's instruction to Timothy, who was the pastor. This is his instruction for Timothy for the operation of the church, for ministry in the church, within the church. I urge that, first of all, Timothy, in the church you pray. First of all, you pray with all kinds and all types of prayer. Paul's exhortation to Timothy, you need to be a praying church. You leaders need to be praying over the ministry. You rank and file Christians need to be praying for the church, for the ministry, for your leaders. If you want your church to be effective, if you want it to be vibrant, if you want it to be a kingdom-minded and kingdom-purposed church, you got to be praying over it. This is not exclusive to leadership, but it is a leadership mantle. The first work of leadership in the church is to mix it up so you couldn't say prayer, huh? If you're not a current, if you are not currently a ministry head, and maybe that'll change, I would guess the more you become committed to praying for the ministries of the church, the more you may become sensitive to God calling you into serving in the church. You know, we're not to be sitters. We're to be servers in the church. I just came up with that. Just came into my mind. Here's the challenge. Don't answer. It's a rhetorical question, but think about it hard. How much time do you spend praying for this church? How much time do you praying for this church's leaders? How much time do you pray for this church's ministries? At annual meeting next week, we're going to hear reports from the ministry heads about what God has been doing in their individual ministries. So we'll have a sheet and you'll be able to see who are the leaders and who, what are the ministries. Sunday school teachers. We need to be teaching our children the importance of prayer in Sunday school. We teach them the stories of the Bible, and that's great. We also need to be teaching them the importance of prayer and how to pray, although there isn't a lot of instruction on how to pray. Do you know how we learn how to pray? By praying, by spending time praying. Prayer is one thing that's heavy on-the-job training. You learn how to pray as you pray. And, of course, there's teaching. And, of course, there's a lot in the Word about it. But there isn't really an instruction manual. And there's, as I said, petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. When you come to God in prayer, He, and if it's, if it's true biblical prayer, and it's not a laundry list of, okay, I'm just going to ask God for this and this and this, and you're not even aware of God's presence, you're shotgunning these requests up and hoping they'll hit somewhere and cause something to happen. But if we come into His presence thinking about him, worshiping him as they were doing, uh, he'll begin to speak and he'll begin to show us how to pray and what he once prayed for. And it often won't be anything the same as the last time you came to him in prayer. 
And you can pray for anything from intimate personal needs to global affairs. Prayer covers it all. And we're called to pray for it all. Now, it doesn't say that prayer is the only important thing, and I know that. But it does say that prayer is the first thing. First of all means this, at the top of the list. First in importance. First in priority. As opposed to further down the list and of lesser importance and lesser priority. You know, I always joke, and you know I'm joking, right? But it seems like what people remember of my ministry are my jokes. That's a joke. (laughs) More so than the teaching. But I've heard many of you say, since I think I first said it, or maybe you heard it elsewhere, when all else fails, pray. Man, that is the antithesis of biblical thought on prayer. It isn't when all else fails, pray. It's first of all. It's to be the first thing. It's of utmost importance. In the church, there's to be no higher priority in ministry than prayer, praying, praying together. Notice the last line on the screen. This is good and pleases God our Savior. The church that has set prayer as its number one priority is pleasing to God. So as we move to a close, I just want to look at a few verses on corporate prayer that run through the book up to Acts 13. We're only going to cover, it's it's by no means exhaustive, it's just going to cover some things we've already covered in our first 13 chapters, materials we've already looked at. Then we're going to close with a relevant application. So just a few verses on, on the prayer in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, 14, they all joined constantly together in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The New Testament church was birthed in prayer. And throughout Acts, they were constantly praying together. Here, the result of their praying was what we now know as Pentecost. The result of their praying was the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in great power. And the New Testament church was born. And 3,000 were saved off of that event. That's powerful praying. Amen. Right, Art? Poor Art. He wants to say amen so much more, but he knows he's the only voice in here. And that's making him intimidated. You've got to help Art out with this. Right, Art? Acts 1.24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. When the church needed to make a decision, they prayed together. They sought the Lord together. And in this case, the Lord showed them who was to take the place of Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus and hung himself. They needed to replace him because there were to be 12 apostles, not 11. And through prayer, God showed them who the 12th apostle was going to be. Acts 4.24, when they heard the report, All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O Lord, hear their threats. Give us great boldness. Stretch out your hand with healing power. 
May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Was, did God hear that prayer? After this prayer, the meeting place was shaken. The building shook as God affirmed their praying together this prayer. When the church was threatened with persecution and adversity, they prayed together. And in this particular case, there were dramatic results. The actual building in which they were praying was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again. They went out, they spoke the word of God, or they witnessed, or they told others about Jesus with great boldness and great confidence, even at the risk of death, of martyrdom. Last week, Acts 12.5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. This story is very fresh. We covered it last week. When the church was in desperate need, when the church was in desperate need of divine intervention, they prayed together. God sent an angel in answer to their prayer. Supernaturally sprung Peter, miraculously sprung Peter from prison. You know the story. Chains fell off his wrists automatically. Doors just opened with nobody opening them. Sixteen guards there and doubtful they were asleep. Because they knew their life depended on guarding Peter. Actually, you know, they all were then executed because Peter escaped. My guess is they hadn't fallen asleep. The angel and Peter just walked right by them and were never seen. You know, Jesus did that. They were going to stone him to death, and it says he just walked right through the crowd, and they couldn't do anything. That was in the result of the church. That was a result of the church praying earnestly together for Peter. Many believe, and I'm one, the church's earnest praying brought God's direct intervention in that situation and countless number of times in Scripture and throughout history. The earnest praying of the church spared Peter's life. Many believe, and I am one, the church today desperately needs God's direct intervention in our lives, in our loved ones' lives. Many of us have people whose lives are being just ravaged by addiction and by sickness and by all kinds of things that the enemy has been able to perpetrate, possibly because the church hasn't been praying. We sort of didn't know how. We sort of didn't realize the importance, but God's taken that excuse away. Amen? God's taking that excuse, and he's taking that ignorance away from us. He's tearing down the obstacles that we've used to not pray. I said many believe I am one. The church today desperately needs God's direct intervention in our lives, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, in organizations, in our school boards, in our borough councils, in our government, in the media, and academia, and on and on and on. What we could be, should be praying for is actually overwhelming. It becomes more overwhelming when there's only a very small percentage of us praying and we have to take on the whole thing. But the more of us that start praying, the more we can begin to divvy out this stuff as God lays a burden for this and a burden for that. Then we don't have to carry the entire burden. Others are praying for things too. Justin emphasizes corporate prayer so much. And unless you're there, you just can't quite get 
all the benefits of it. One person begins to pray, and that begins to fuel the rest of the people because as you're praying and I'm listening, that's another thing. When you're in corporate prayer, don't tune out when somebody else is praying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying through them when they're praying. Now, they may be all over the place. None of us are real skilled prayers. We're growing. But listen, because you'll begin to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying through them as they pray. And then that touches something in you. And when they stop, you start. And you build on that. And you may go to another topic. And corporate prayer just feeds itself. It starts like a match that you put the newspaper, and pretty soon it's this roaring fire. Amen. We're believing for a mighty move of God in, just a mighty move of God that's going to touch everything from our lives to the world very shortly, in the days ahead. But many believe, and I am one, the level to which God does that, are you listening? The level to which God does that will be directly proportionate to the level the church prays together about it. A.W. Tozer made a statement, you can have as much of God as you want. God never says, don't come any closer. The more we press in and pray, the more that enables, allows God to do. It's not because he can't just do it. Don't, don't think that I'm saying God is limited. He's not limited in any way. He is totally sovereign. But he designed it like this. And it's too much to get into right now why he did. But he designed his moving in the earth upon the prayers of his people. That tragic statement in Ezekiel where um, Israel was about to be destroyed and God didn't want them to be destroyed. And do you remember what he said through the prophet? I looked for a man, just one man, to stand in the gap and intercede before me for the nation of Israel so I wouldn't have to destroy them. And I found none. Therefore, Israel was destroyed. You say, man, Pastor, come on, you're really, like, melodramatic. You're really building this up. Man, I am afraid that is what God is saying in these days. That's what it's going to take. For God to break the entrenched evil that has gotten hold of many of our communities, many of our, our social and civic organizations, uh, much of our nation, many of the nations of the world, the level that's going to take to break that is something we probably have never experienced. And God's gently drawing us into that for those who have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. Last slide, or last verse, Acts 13, where we are today. We already read that. They were fasting, they were worshiping, they were praying. And the Holy Spirit gave very specific instructions now for the last leg. The last leg. If you run track, if you ever run a a relay, you know, there's a last leg. You're the anchor. If you're the fastest guy, you're the anchor. And now we're going to hit the last leg of the Great Commission. Acts 1.8. You guys are going to tell, tell people about me. This is Jesus everywhere. You're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea and Samaria. And then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world, the ends of the earth. 
And we're starting, in Acts 13, we're starting that last leg of that commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Out of this prayer meeting in the church in Antioch, where the leadership were worshiping, fasting, and praying, the last leg of the Great Commission was launched. The church was birthed in prayer. It fulfilled its commission in prayer. That mission, by the way, continues to this day. We're part of it. And my own opinion is this. If the mission originated in prayer, the mission is going to be carried on in prayer. We can't look to them and say, well, they prayed the mission, they prayed the launch, now we just are going to do it. If we're going to do it, we've got to do it in the way they did it. I would that, first of all, prayer be made. And not a laundry list of once. We need to learn how to pray, but God's teaching us, all of us. God has brought Teachings on prayer at various times through our church's history. And every time he takes us deeper into prayer and gives us more understanding. And that's where we are again. We're on the cusp of God beginning to teach on prayer and lead us into it and teach us to pray. Here's a closing verse and then we're going to pray. I want you to hear this. James 5.16 from the Passion Translation which I really like. God, as we read this, word, this verse, which is your word, would you open up our minds to actually hear what it's saying? And would you grant us faith to really believe what it's saying? Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And this refers to the passionate, heartfelt prayer of one individual believer. Tremendous power is released. How much more so if a number of believers unite in passionate, heartfelt prayer? What level of power is going to be released and what could be accomplished? What really holds us down is we don't see into the spiritual realm, what's happening when we pray. But I can assure you from Scripture, that spiritual world is being rocked when we pray passionate, heartfelt prayer. God's moving things around like you wouldn't believe. You say, yeah, boy, I've been praying and nothing happened. My guess is you probably stopped, and you probably stopped short. It takes God a while to move things around. It takes God a while to unseat entrenched evil. It takes God a while to change somebody's mind and their will that you've been praying for. It takes God a while to clean up a life that's gotten really messed up. But he promises to do it because he's a redemptive God. Amen. Tremendous power released when you pray, when I pray. Tremendous power released, magnified exponentially when we pray together. Let's try to believe for it, okay? All right, we have an activity to close. Corporate prayer. The elders who are here, I, w I was hoping we'd have all eight so we'd have four groups. We have six. So if two elders will come up front, two elders on the side, 
two elders back there where Ron is. Ron's already one of them. So let's get our elders situated. Quickly. Once they're in place, which they just about are, congregation, would you stand, please? Now, no pressure at all. If you are so inclined, then move yourself to one of these groups of elders that are closest to you. We're going to pray together. So go ahead and start moving towards your group. We don't have quite the amount of children we usually have in here. But if there's any children in your group, encourage them to pray. Bring the children. If you're here in a family, bring the children into the group here. Let them hear the praying and encourage them to pray. We want to try and keep that back door shut if possible. Okay. Now, instructions for the elders. Elders, are you listening? This is not for you to do all the praying. This is not for you necessarily to pray over people. This is for us to pray corporately. Find out from people in your group what's on their hearts and what they'd like prayer for. And we're all going to pray together. But nobody has to pray. You don't have to pray out loud if you're not comfortable doing that. But the opportunity is there for all of us. Go ahead and begin praying. When when Ron senses that we're done... He's going to put on a closing song. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.